Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is Skinwalker Ranch an example of a multiverse mass conjunction? Sounds like something out of Ghostbusters, right? Mm. Are there really alien hybrids among us? And if so, why? Hey there, and welcome to the 507th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening, we bring you uh, the uh, second in our series of two open line shows, and we'll continue where we left off on our CBS edition last evening. And we do welcome your calls, and the number locally is 401-766-1240, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, it's 800-449-1240. Okay, let's begin with questions from our Facebook page. And as we said last evening, we do uh, edit these down to the basic questions. We don't change anything, of course, but we take out the uh, compliments and the whatever things that are not relevant to the question. So this is from Merle from Texas. Uh, okay, Merle, huh? I'd, wow. Uh, Merle writes to us, uh, Paul, I'm always interested in your opinions about theology because of your many years in the seminary. I know you catch a lot of crap from people that uh, do not like your views, but I'm an open-minded Christian, and I would like to hear your opinion on what the multiverse idea does to sin and salvation. From Ooh, what... boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, start off with a loaded question. Great, great way, great way to start off the show. Uh, anyway, from what you... Uh, uh, from what you say, there are all kinds of versions of us out there in, altern- in alternate worlds, so some good and some bad. How does God judge us? Well, that's an interesting question you don't hear every day. Uh, theology, yes. Well, all right. It, uh, well, I, I, they didn't teach us this in the seminary, okay, really, not from this point of view. But when you look at it, and a lot of the fans of the show who are priests, nuns, and people of theological education often say they are fans of the show because the whole multiverse idea makes all the things in the Bible possible, really, when you think of the miracles of, of Christ and things of this kind. Now, I, I take no particular stand on that, but I think they might have a, might have a point, which I guess is a stand on. All right, so what are we looking at here? Okay, what does it do to sin? And I think that Merle's point is that our we're always talking about the quantum physics version of reality, which is pretty much accepted now in one form or another by most physicists. And that is the idea that what you see around you is not what you get. What you get is, or what you have essentially is many, 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 possibly an infinite number of infinite uh, parallel worlds where all possibilities not only are possible, but actually exist. In other words, there are many worlds Uh, parallel worlds to this one where you were never born, ones where you've already died, ones where you're not even human, where nobody's human. Anything that can be conceived exists somewhere in the multiverse. That's why it can be conceived, because somewhere or somewhen you're conscious of it, because you are one big consciousness. We are one big consciousness. So what does that do to the Christian idea of sin? Now, theologically, sin is missing the mark. We translate it out of the the Greek from way way back. That's essentially what it says. It uh, they didn't make distinctions such as in the the Western well the Roman Church anyway makes and as far as mortal sin venial sin I don't even know if they still do that but that was a uh, something that was missing the mark. 
you try and do better. That's what that's what you do. But however, what what I think he's getting at here, what Merle is getting at, is that in many aspects of the multiverse, there are evil versions of us. The parasites that we're always talking about, that folklore calls demons, really share our lives as well. It is indiscriminate, this unity, this sharing, okay? It's a funny concept very often for many people because we're not used to thinking that way, especially in the West where we're so fiercely individualistic. But what's happening here is that there are so many versions of us, how does God judge us? Now, even those terms, I'm not entirely, I don't know if I really put it that way. It really, theologically, when you get down to the, to the, 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 the meat of it, in the ancient Christian church, really it was expressed, and it really is in Christian theology today, some of it, that you judge yourself. You know, God doesn't force you one way or the other. You essentially choose what bed you're going to sleep in, in the multiverse, really, and that's what happens. I suppose some of the people of Eastern traditions might call it karma. Right? All these things do kind of make sense from pretty much all religious points of view, except the most extreme. So I think that um, our... Somebody brought this up on the show last night. The core consciousness, as I call it, is somehow at the center of all this. We're not just a bunch of different versions of people. We are at the heart of it. There is some sort of core consciousness. So I think the core consciousness... What we really are at our, at our essence in all these lives, I call it, it's generally called the subconscious, uh, which contains all the lives we're not necessarily conscious of, is essentially where we, we really live. I suppose if uh, you're going to talk about judgment, that might be where it comes from. Essentially, I think the more in touch you are with the aspects of yourself that are wise, that are good, that are compassionate, that are, and this is important, selfless, the part of yourself that is selfless, another paradox, and the multiverse is full of them, then that is what you really are. People who are evil are more in touch with the selfish parts. That may sound a little silly, but it's not, believe me. Someone like Stalin or Hitler, you cannot imagine them being selfless. They were selfish to the point of dragging entire nations down with them. So I think that essentially might answer Merle's question, that we're dealing with what we really are, and that really is our decision. Now, we are conditioned by our upbringing. If we grow up with cruelty, with abuse, uh, starving, or otherwise suffering, we might come out refined to gold. We might come out connected with these wise and good parts of us, or we might come out bitter, burned to a crisp, and connected with the, with the parts that are negative. It's really all up to us. Mm. I think God gives us every opportunity to choose the best parts. Ben, what say you? Well, no, I, I'd have to agree with that. I think it just comes down to personal responsibility, too. Yeah. Because it's like you really ultimately, you choose how you react to certain situations. Like, um... If uh, you're presented with a situation in which you can both, um, what's the word, harm and uh, harm or someone or help somebody, ultimately it comes down to you, not whether some sort of giant universal force pushes you to do whatever. I mean, I, yeah. I, I suppose that that could 
be something, but ultimately it's more not not like forcing you to do something, mm-hmm. but in in influence, if you know what I mean. Well, I know I know what you mean. I think too many people today pass off the personal responsibility they have because. But you you were brought up, if I may say so myself, with your mom and I really stressing to you personal responsibility. Yeah, you don't blame somebody else. And so many times today, listen, these politicians especially, it's always somebody else's fault, you know? Mm. I mean, man up. Live up to it. And I think that that's part of the strength of tying in with your the aspects of yourself that, that are, um, I suppose the psychics might call it enlightened or whatever, but that's not a bad term. It's true. There are aspects of us that are. Who are? And so th- there we are. So I think uh, essentially that that's it. You make your own bed in the multiverse and you have to sleep in it. Right. So that that's essentially whether it. so, it's the singular you or collective you. So I think, Merle, to go a little further, this may alarm some people, but uh, many of the ways we think of these things in popular theology, which does not necessarily reflect the actual theology, is uh, reflected in what you've said here: sin, salvation. And the question is, what is salvation? And the uh, the ancient Christian definition of that is. Um, and you can say, well, it's not in the Bible. Well, it, it depends how you interpret the, the Bible. The Bible has is lousy translations of, of documents. We, we aren't even sure were the original ones because yeah. they were copied again and again and again by semi-literate scribes. Mm. All right? And one, one believers would want to think, of course, that, that the Holy Spirit has preserved that. And I would like to think the same thing, of course. Uh, however, we just, we really have ourselves and, and, and God. Okay. So I think that if you interpret that ancient idea that salvation is union with God and that hell is separation from God, because that's not what we're made for, we're made for union with God, you've got salvation. And you've also got what in the multiverse is called a unity. The more in line with the unity you are and that you are made for, the more you live in heaven. And the more uh, theologically, the more uh, it's the same thing as saying what is said in, in theology and really in the Bible. So we're just the multiverse reflects our interpretation of reality, and uh, our beliefs do too. That's essentially so. We're saying I think the same things, perhaps in different terms, and it exalts God. It does not denigrate God at all in any case. So that that's my take on that, Merle. And thank you for your your question. Uh, the next one is from. Will Balanic in Manitoba, Canada. Ah, Manitoba. So uh, Will writes to us. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish you uh, would uh, do a show on Skinwalker Ranch. I read the book, and uh, you you two could have written it. It says uh, that <laughs> things go on there uh, that really match what you talk about in flap areas and hotspots. So what? I- so what is that? Or, or so is that what uh, Skinwalker Ranch is? Have you investigated it yourselves? Well, I'd like to say I have read the book, as you have, uh, Will, but I, I, it's, it's very difficult to find out where it is. You remember, like, we were talking with uh, uh, Ted Phillips, Ben, a few weeks ago on, the, on this version of the yes. show, and uh, the, he was referring to Marley Woods. That is a pseudonym for... Oh, no, wait, place. I wasn't here for that. Oh, you weren't? No, oh, okay. I wasn't. Well, unfortunately... Uh, there was a pseudonym for... Mar- Marley Woods is a pseudonym for a uh, wilderness area in Missouri where he lives and where f- all these strange things occur, all sorts of uh, particularly orb phenomena that he interprets from the UFO point of view. It all depends on the context, I think. Mm. So Skinwalker Ranch is one of these places. That's not the actual name of the ranch, but it is in Utah. 
in an unknown place. And Dr. Colm Kelleher, uh, PhD, of course, has headed a group. He's one of, one of the authors of the book called Hunt for the Skinwalker. And this particular area was is, is supposedly the first uh, flap area of the kind we described that is being investigated by a team of scientists from various disciplines. It's all it's all rather hush hush. I had at one time wondered if this was really true because we we have and I'm not saying it's not. It's just I've kind of been trying to look into it. And I'd like to have some of these people on the show. We have people contact us, you know, prominent experts who want to be on the show. They ask to be on the show. And Dr. Kelleher has never responded, as far as I can remember, to any requests from us to be on the show. And we're going to continue to do that. Uh, George Knapp is the other author of the book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. And he is well known as a Nevada journalist, a prominent journalist in that state. And he also is a, a frequent guest host on uh, Coast to Coast AM, so he's well known to millions and millions of people. Uh, I've not been able to get him to, res- to respond to a request to be on the show about this either. However, odd as that may be, we're going to try, we're going to continue to do that. So things that happen at Skinwalker Ranch have included much of the same things that we describe uh, from some of our cases working in these flap areas. Now, uh, to answer your question, Will, I, we have not investigated it personally. It's very difficult to get access to the place, and not to mention it's really far away from, from Rhode Island, where we're based. Among the things that have happened, just a sampling, people witnessing holes opening in the sky and UFOs coming out. Holes opening in midair near the ground and strange creatures coming in and out. A whole herd of cows was supposedly missing, and people found the cows removed from their um, enclosure, and, and they found them in a trailer nearby. And there's no way they could have gotten in there, obviously, by themselves. And this is the sort of thing that goes on. Poltergeist activity, UFOs, cryptids, all sorts of strange uh, sounds and bizarre phenomena going on. And supposedly this has been studied by a number of scientists for a number of years. One of the things, Ben, that makes me a little bit suspicious is, you know, sometimes we talk about this multiverse thing. Have you ever gotten any threats or... Not that I know of, Okay. Well, I haven't for a while. But people, you know, have suggested that we're close to the truth and the people who claim to know and all this. But they haven't. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of, uh, you know, a little flaky people sometimes listen to shows like this, although we like to think we cater to the more intelligent listener. But in any case, uh, this is the sort of thing that might be going on here. My suspicion is that if the government, you know, knows anything about UFOs and all this business, and we're going to get into that next week with uh, on our CBS edition with Gary Hesseltine from England, mm-hmm. again, yeah. the what, what they might want not want people to know is that there is a multiverse component here. It's one thing to think that your friends or your enemies or neutral alien life, quote-unquote, is on some other planet far away. It's a little more difficult and a little more disconcerting to think that maybe your friends, your enemies in the multiverse, or these aliens or whatever, are right next to you in parallel worlds and have the technology or simply just the shamanic ability to come back and forth as they please or to use these overlaps or, if you want to call them, portals or vortices that is talked about more in classic paranormal studies, then that, that I think, is a little harder to take. Yeah. So maybe that's why this is being hushed up so much. I mean, naturally, it's private property, and I know for from... 
bitter experience that when you write about something or talk about it on the air and you give the address, then obviously the people get no peace. Oh, so, geez, no, no, you yeah. never do that. Never. So I don't know. Um, you, I know you, have you, re- you haven't read the book? No, I've been meaning to, though. Okay, well, here it is. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll hold give it, it up. Give this it to the, me. Give it to me now. Okay, yeah, there you go. Read it right now. All right, uh, speed, speed read. read. <laughs> so, but again, it, it, there are a lot of things that go on there that, that we talk about in the uh, Connecticut case that we've been working on since '05. Uh, especially their black helicopters and all sorts of odd things. So you name it, it happens at Skinwalker Ranch. So that's what uh, is being referred to here by Will from Manitoba, and uh, that uh, they do it is, does match what, what we say about the flap areas, and uh, it does seem to be an extreme example. But um, but there you have it. Okay. Well, the next question is from uh, Karen Kerner in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Oh, all right. So uh, Karen writes to us. Uh, if there are two things around uh, lately, it has to be uh, crazy people and crazy information. I have heard a lot about alien hybrids, and I wonder whether this could explain some of the crazy people <laughs> and some of the strange things uh, going on today. Are there really hybrids? As you, uh, as I heard you say, their DNA would have to be almost the same as ours. Is there any real evidence that there are aliens or hybrids among us? Oh, dear. Well, again, we're not UFO or alien experts. We've been no. hanging around with a lot of them in the past year or so. And we do run into this from time to time. Now, hybrids supposedly would be a genetic cross interbreeding between humans and aliens, whatever that might be, people from other planets or other times, uh, not other times, but other uh, universes uh, where whatever. they're not. So this, uh, but her point that I've made several times is that for that to occur, and there are some who speculate that that occurred in the ancient uh, the prehistory of the human race, right? And in, in my last book, uh, the uh, excuse me, <coughs> turning home, <clears throat> God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, I refer to possibilities of uh, that might have existed at this point. But I also make the point that DNA would have had to be almost identical. Uh, you cannot breed uh, a well. I said, well, you cannot breed one uh, species of man. You cannot breed a porcupine with a skunk. The DNA just isn't. Has to, DNA has to be pretty much identical. Supposedly, humans have bred, bred with chimps, if you can believe it, but uh, that is highly yeah. speculative, you know, uh, because that's the closest species to us in the genetic code, with, the, with the, the same genetic code, or all, not the same, but almost uh, the same. Right. So, be that as it may, uh, whether there are hybrids around, I don't know. We we have had people on the show who have suggested. Bill Burns has, yeah, he suggested it. Bill Burns has suggested it, and also uh, Tom Reed has suggested there was some sort of uh, genetic manipulation going on in his family because of the the family abduction case. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, anything is possible. We know that better than anyone. But you have to be really careful here. You can't just blindly accept everything you no, hear. No, of course not. And the, 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 there is the question, too, this goes beyond the DNA question. Uh, their DNA can be split. It can be manipulated, especially by someone with quote-unquote advanced technology. So you wouldn't necessarily need to have similar or, or almost was, identical yeah, I DNA. Gonna, I was going to bring that. Yeah, okay, out. right, in order to, to do that. Uh, supposedly, I've talked to people who've seen, said they've been in craft and seen uh, different uh, hybrid, you know, with the large eyes, but, but human features otherwise and all this business. So there's all kinds of stuff and speculation about this. I just don't know. Uh, these things t- kind of take on lives of their own very often, and once once a belief is out there, and it's almost come to the uh, 
to the state of urban legends. Urban legends are uh, things that just just get started and you pass them around. The uh, the rat that somebody thinks is a dog, you know that that's one of the, the common urban legends in America. As a matter of fact, mom came home Ben one day with that story that somebody she knew uh, in her profession had had uh, uh, taken this dog in Providence. And taking it home, but it turned out it wasn't a dog. It was an Australian wombat that could have killed her. They came off some ship at the port, you know. So, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean you know, it was, it's, and you hear these things. It's right out of the Urban Legend Dictionary. So, That's like um, the alligators in the sewer. The alligators in the sewer. Well, actually, there have been actual examples of that. Yeah. You know, uh, but, uh, or that. Uh, n- not in Rhode Island that I'm aware of. Or that series that used to be on. It was like Monster Hunters or whatever, and they'd go look for different cryptids, like the giant rats that live in New York or something. I kind of like that series. You know, I don't watch TV, but th- that was what It was, was interesting, but yeah. there was like, there was no conclusion at the end. <laughs> no, no, well, it usually isn't. Some of these things lead nowhere. So hybrids, I gotta tell you, Karen, I just, I just really don't know. Uh, keep watching the skies, I guess. Yeah, or the, your neighborhood in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hybrid, hybrid watch. Certain areas, uh, around this part of New England, I keep an eye open. Yeah. Um, right. Ben, have you any insight on that? Have you heard, uh, I mean, well, then, then there's the question of what purpose would it have? I mean, if we're so, what's the word? If we're not that wonderful when it comes to, um, I'm trying to remember. If we're, if we're sub, subpar to an alien race, then why would they want to, like, interbreed i don't i don't get that well that's where you get into jim peniston's contention about the rendlesham forest case that we've covered uh, so frequently on the show 1980 december u.s air force personnel encountering uh, supposedly uh, alien beings and certainly craft on the ground jim said he touched this craft and uh, he was this code was downloaded and the, the message Seems to have been, uh, in his interpretation, that you've got time travelers involved here. They're not aliens. They are remote descendants of ours, and they might look a little different, but they are trying to replenish their DNA. And you could do that with ancient DNA, theoretically. I'm I'm not some kind of geneticist here, but that's pretty well known. I feel like we should have a geneticist on to talk about this stuff. (laughs) That's a good idea. You know, that's a very good idea. Let's do that. We'll make a note to have a geneticist on to talk about the possibilities. Yeah, because, I mean, we've had people on, I mean, most notably the one that pops to mind first is Bill Burns. Sure. When uh, You weren't here, but the show I did with him, where he was talking about um, hybrids and things like that, and I was just like sitting there like, I don't know if I agree with this. (laughs) Well, Bill Bill, uh, lets his hair down with us. He kind of this is Bill Burns from uh, UFO Hunters on the History Channel, very uh, and the publisher of UFO. Magazine. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. He is. He's a dear friend, and he's just, gotten us on more than one. Show I just, on I just show. hear the word hybrid, and I just, I just immediately am um, off put by it. Well, so am I. But but then the question arises: uh, of what is the motive? We look at it, and we're always saying this. We look at everything from our own very narrow point of view. That's true. Our own very narrow human framework. And uh, you know, you sit through whole conferences, uh, particularly on the UFO subject, and everybody will be taking the human framework. Well, well, if these are not human, and they do not come from our culture, our society, or, or use our form of logic, how can we apply our logic to their thinking? That's true. I mean, I, I'm always making that point when it comes to people saying, oh, well, they're here to help us. Well, how do you know? Well, how many guests do we have on the show? People who are experts in this field, and we ask them again and again, what if... You're wrong. What if the motivation is something we cannot grasp or cannot imagine? And of course, I suppose since we can't grasp it, they can't really discuss it with any sort of 
gravitas, but it's um, it's it's a, it's a serious question. Well, I had a theory a um, little little while back. I shared it with one of my friends. I don't know if I shared it on here or not. Um, from my limited my limited amount of uh, uh, astronomy uh, knowledge, I do know that the amount of gravity that um, is placed upon us at all times, and we have blood pressure to balance it out. So the the amount of blood pressure has to do with uh, how we use emotions. Hmm. So usually people are like have high blood pressure. They usually have anger issues or something like that, or they fly off the handle easily. I should say, like uh, or whatever. Yeah, I, at least I'm old. I'm thinking. Yeah, well, I'm thinking. That's, that's my problem. I think this is what I I was saying that I that the effects of gravity really change a person's personality. That's true. So that, that's like, been found in in weightless conditions in space. Yeah, I I don't really remember my reasoning, um, but I do remember it had something to do with blood pressure. But using that, using us as a model, and if these creatures are careening through space and they're used to different types of gravity than we are, then who's to say that we would know? their personality types or their motives yeah. for one because they're entirely different from us hence the word alien mm-hmm. well there's also a question how come they're not seen wearing suits although some of them are okay well it's time for a break you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley stick with us we'll be right back Hi, everybody. This is Mark Garrow, the host of PRN's Garage Pass, where I keep you up to date with all the latest NASCAR racing news. Garage Pass can be heard right here on WOON every Tuesday through Saturday mornings at 735 and is sponsored by Simon Chevrolet, 114 Fortin Drive, One Socket. Remember, Simon Chevrolet is always open online at simonchevy.com. Garage Pass, Simon Chevrolet and WOON, One Socket Radio, a win combination. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. And welcome back. And you know what I forgot to do? What, what we forgot to do? What? Wish, wish folks a happy Hanukkah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hanukkah began Thursday. It's still going on. So very happy Hanukkah to our Jewish friends. And um, it's great. So, um, so there's, what, two days left? I believe it's eight days altogether. Oh, I, I know, but if yeah. it started on the twenty seventh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So yeah. there's like what two days left? Well, it's I, still going on. That's Emer- the, Emerson Math. <laughs> Emerson Math. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ben goes to Emerson College where everybody goes because they can't do math, so that they have to settle for the media. Yeah, careers yeah exa- exactly. Yeah. We all can't do math. So <laughs> anyway, okay. So I guess we can we can leave that and move on to our next. And thank you, Karen, for writing. Uh, this is a question. Uh, all right, uh, from I guess. Um, Near-death experiences is from uh, Marty Stosselman in Elkhart, Indiana. Ooh, what a fun name that is. So Marty writes to us, uh, Hi, guys. I really love your show. Paul, I have always wanted to ask you about your experiences um, witnessing people shifting from one life to another. Uh, That is really interesting, but I hear other people talking about uh, their uh, near-death experiences and all over the world, they talk about going through a tunnel of light and meeting Jesus or loved ones. What's the difference between these people and the ones you witnessed? That's a very good question. Well, there isn't necessarily, Marty, a difference between that and what uh, uh, I've talked about. Too. Now, what I've witnessed as far as uh, near-death experiences, uh, I suppose, are were in the context of hospitals when I was a seminary student and doing pastor work and 
two state hospitals, one in New York and one in Connecticut, and witnessing the deaths of people. Now, in those days, this is the 1970s, there were far more inpatients than there are today. Um, there were, you know, many bedridden elderly people. These were state hospitals, so they weren't all necessarily psychiatric patients. So I witnessed a number of remarkable experience people seeming to see beyond where they were into perhaps the next consciousness the the other consciousness where nature was taking them path of least resistance there were many beautiful experiences uh, I, it was funny I, I noticed that there were several people who were i suppose you'd call them well, maybe not atheists or agnostics non-believers and they I, I don't know how to put this they they were terrified and they they did not die well, okay. Uh, those who were people of positive spirit and faith, any any faith seemingly that was positive, uh, seemed to, to die much better and seemed to have better experiences. Now, I would differ a, a bit here, uh, Marty, on saying that uh, these, these um, th- those who write about and discuss these issues, these near-death experiences around the world, Perhaps give the impression uh, more than it should be given that these experiences are pretty much universal, that that almost everyone sees the tunnel of light and a religious figure or a loved one at the end. It is interesting that they don't all see the same person. It all again, it's path of least resistance. Uh, but many uh, do not have that experience. Many, not many, but some have very negative experiences. Um, I don't, I don't know how quite to interpret this, but I, I have never really, really had a near-death experience. However, I think I came close to one. Uh, one time a number of years ago, I mean, Ben was like, I don't know, what, not even two yet. I was, um, didn't know it, but I had pneumonia and, uh, atrial fibrillation going on in my, my heart, and I had to go to the hospital there. I was in the hospital for a week. And again, it's many years ago. I'm fine now. Thank you very much. But what was happening was that I, I began to shift consciousnesses and I was looking at a uh, uh, a man-made cave or tunnel with this sort of lizard looking out of it. But it was not negative. It was it was utterly beautiful. The colors were magnificent. A very positive creature. Not something. I'm not a reptile kind of guy, but I don't know. So I can't explain it. But uh, people have strange experiences that do not involve a tunnel of light. But of course, the majority do seem to describe some sort of passage through a tunnel. Now, how do I interpret that? in terms of the multiverse, because we're always saying that you shift when you die, quote-unquote, or as we say, translate, you translate from one consciousness to another where you're already living uh, a parallel life, as we were discussing earlier in the show. That, to me, is, is what happened, and I believe I've witnessed that happening. Um, probably the most striking example of that was a number of years ago when I was... Um, uh, in uh, someone's uh, attic, because that seems to be where they hear a lot of footsteps and stuff, and in the attic, and I, uh, I was, I suppose, contacted, and I don't make deliberate attempts to communicate, because you can't be sure what you're communicating with. I think I have enough experience to know that, but still you're very careful. Anyway, to make a long story short, this seemed to be a man who, and I've just described this many times on the show, who was said he was in a church... It was human. He spoke English and everything. In Virginia, the Stone Church, and he, he couldn't get out. And he, he remembered vaguely going down in a plane, which, of course, that's subtle as a ton of bricks. It may be killed in a plane crash. And then here he is all of a sudden in this church in Virginia. 
And as we talked, his memory changed. Now, there's nothing to say. His memory changed, and everything seemed to be fine by the end of three days of conversation uh, here and there. And But that's not to say that he didn't, when he uh, died, I suppose, if you want to say, or when he began to translate from one a consciousness uh, into one where he already was, that he didn't go through some kind of tunnel or have some sort of experience uh, to reassure him or something like that. I've, we don't have any evidence about people who have died violently having anything like this tunnel. I, cause nobody really knows because obviously they're, they're not around to tell us. So it is very much an open question. I don't see any problem with the tunnel as it relates to the multiverse translation experience. So... Um, I don't really know if it's an issue. I do get the point, and I thank you for for your question, but uh, I don't really see any problem there. Ben, what, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think of it like a wormhole. No, no, it's they, an idea, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's something that's sort of universal throughout it, it's like how um, there are three major phobias that are existent throughout all cultures, and it's always the fear of heights, fear of spiders, and fear of snakes, and those are prevalent in every single culture. Spiders. Yeah. 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 Spiders. All right. Yeah, because you know, poison, poisonous. Well, yeah. They're yeah. terrifying. Yes. Yes. But multi-legged in, creatures. Yeah, in every culture around the world, they share those same three fears. Okay. So why not share a similar experience when it comes to near death? You know what I mean? Well, this is the question that people when when they question this is well, everything that involve evolves in the brain if we're just talking about the brain, I don't think we are, but everything that evolves that way has survival value. Mm-hmm. In other words, what is, everything you, every instinct you have evolves that way. So what's, what's the survival value of a near-death experience? I mean, your body's dying for Pete's sake, you know? So there must be some sort of value in ultimate survival in the multiverse by having that, you know, I think all of us are going through the death experience in some life here or there all the time. I think it's the root exists, root, experience of our existence mm. so uh yeah so wormhole whatever you want to call it yeah possibly certainly physics is, is involved here but uh, what interests me in studying these cases is, and then talking to some people is that uh, i i talked to uh people who came out of it and w- these is usually after being revived what does seem to be almost universal not always but almost universal is hovering above being up by the ceiling and looking down and seeing your, your own, yourself and doctors working on you and everything else. Um, I talked to someone who had uh, a near-death experience from what to us would be the past. They said they had been in, I guess, I don't know, you'd be supposed today we call it a wagon train or some such thing. Uh, they were migrating westward, uh, presumably in the United States, in some world that was very much like our old west, I guess. They were attacked by natives. Uh, she was, she, she witnessed herself being filled with arrows and her body being abused. And she said, uh, the first thing she said was, my poor body. But then she was sort of, it didn't really make any difference to her because she had, was, was translating and there wasn't any tunnel or anything. And she, um, recalled waking up. It was more like a dream and, and, uh, some things were different in her, uh, her life. From what she, you know, there were memories of the current life and that other life, right? Because it's still going on. Because it's still going on. And because we don't believe in reincarnation in the classic sense. You don't have past lives because there's no past from the viewpoint of physics. Uh, there were just, uh, everything's happening simultaneously, which is why we have all these, uh, instincts and uh, wisdom and knowledge and lack of wisdom and lack of knowledge and things. Yeah. Whatever, whatever we have, that's what it is. Yeah. So, 
So anyway, I can see the uh, the point there, but uh, I've always been intrigued by the cultural differences in who people see at the end of the tunnel. Oh, right, yeah. You know, uh, people have seen uh, Buddha, Jesus, a lot of people see loved ones, sometimes one loved one. Occasionally, I've gotten the story that they saw someone who turned out to be a distant ancestor they didn't know, but who was still full of love and was... Uh, was meeting it because yeah, again we share the lives of all these people. So, yeah. So uh, the long story short, I don't see any any problem. Here, so what if really somebody's good. a jerk and they have a near death experience? <clears throat> there are people who have very negative near death experiences, hellish experiences, and why? Because if you're a jerk in this life, if you want to call it that, you will translate again nature path of least resistance to where you are to where you're most like where you are now. Mm. You don't make a step forward. You could make a step back. And as we've said in the most extreme example of this, people share the lives even of the parasites. And when you have a possession case, or even sometimes a poltergeist situation, the thing is feeding on you, It re- there's, there's, there's a junction there, a conjunction between where you and it are the same being in some part of the multiverse. That's where the bonding has occurred. A frightening thought, Terrifying. but it does... Happened. That's it. And when I look back on the exorcisms I participated in many, many years ago, I said, "What? This, that is a far better explanation than some of the theological stuff." Mm. Anyway, but that's another story. All right. So there you have it. So uh, move on to one from Megan in Taylor, Michigan. Alrighty, so Megan writes to us, Hi guys, uh, your show is great and I heard you talk about this before, uh, but I see uh, the ghost of myself. It is like being in a scary movie. I uh, do not see my face, uh, I do not see myself face to face, but my back going around corners. Uh, it is my hair and the same clothes I am wearing, so I know it is me. Uh, my sister has seen uh, me too. <laughs> this is so strange. Uh, my my dad has not, but my mom has. Uh, never the, uh, never the fact, uh, just going, just the bet, just, never the face, sorry, I should say, never the face, uh, but just the back, and just for a second, is my house haunted, uh, what does this ghost want, or is it me in another world? Okay, well, that's very interesting. I, it reminds me of a case in Glastonbury, <clears throat> Connecticut, excuse me, many years ago, uh, I think it was 1975 or 1976, and, uh, remember, that's right, I wrote about it in, uh, Faces at the Window, my 1998 book, I can't remember what I wrote about, uh, was a young girl who would was using a Ouija board and suddenly started to see herself. She would wake up and she was leaning over her bed looking at her. Okay, uh, Other people in the family would see this. very similar to this. So my first question is, are you... Was it, was it Sharon? Uh, it was... Uh, Megan. Megan, sorry about that. I'm old. But, Megan, I'm wondering, uh, are you doing anything you shouldn't be doing, such as using Ouija boards or seances? Because if that can be the case, <laughs> uh, parasites can mimic, you know, they, as any other creature, in, any other creature in nature, but as in, with many other creatures in nature, they will mimic, uh, walking sticks mimic sticks so that they can avoid predators. Other, especially deep sea creatures and, uh, these parasites we're talking about can mimic something else in order to, uh, catch their prey. And again, these are just life forms. Uh, you know, they're not spirits or demons or anything. Although they fill the bill very well, and they are to be avoided and fought off if possible. Uh, so th- that is another possibility, uh, and, and not to alarm you. So if you if there's anything negative going on in your house, and if you're doing any, anything like that, don't do it. Stop it right away. 
and uh, bring back some positive energy to your house. Now, now that may not be the case at all. You may have a very positive household. It is possible that it is you in another world. Okay, uh, these parallel worlds are ubiquitous. They are pretty much uh, they are very interactive. It happens to us all the time because we. There are things that happen to us in our daily life. We're always using the examples of the car keys, or you put the car keys down and you turn around, they're gone. I mean, these are the usual everyday aspects of this. But people seeing themselves, it's not unusual. We get a number of letters from people who claim that that's, that's going on. Yeah. Uh, early cases that I ran into made me wonder about the whole ghosts as spirits of the dead theory. Right? We figure ghosts are spirits of the dead, especially when you've seen the apparition of someone who's died because that's really the only way we know how to explain it from our limited framework as goofy as it sounds yeah and uh but when you look at it from this multiverse point of view you've got you in many different worlds and these worlds can can interact Uh, the energies can be exchanged it is an open system so one one or the other is probably what's going on there uh, megan and i would say um keep an eye on the situation uh, I would uh, let us know if anything else is happening because you know, as I say, they never people never tell you everything. I'd like to know if there's anything negative going on. Is there anything positive going? Anything that you think might be attributable to the same energies that are allowing this situation to occur? I'd like to know uh, too if um, people outside the family are seeing you as well in places where you are not. Uh, be reminded too that many of the saints. I'm thinking of Bernard of Clairvaux particularly, and several of the Orthodox saints as well, were known to be able to be in two places at once. Not necessarily because they wanted to be, but they would be seen by locating. So it can be a sign of holiness. It could be a sign of just the opposite. So keep an eye on it and, and let us know what's going on here. I mean, it, it, just as it seems now, uh, the back of the, of the entity is seen, uh, I don't get a good feeling from that. Frankly, what do you say? No, that's kind of weird that you don't see your own face. I'm not... It's almost like something on Alfred Hitchcock or something. (laughs) Rebecca, no. uh, (laughs) No, it's it's just, it's kind of odd. I just, uh, I would like to know a little bit more about the situation. Like, um, actually, I'm trying to remember where she is even hailing from. Uh, Minnesota? Yeah, Minnesota. And... uh, well, Minnesota. I don't really know much about it. I don't know about the water like tables or anything. Yeah, is that like a big like land um, of ten thousand lakes? A lot of water. Uh, oh, oh, there we go. Yeah, like if you live near, live near a lake. Oh yeah, base, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. try to try to remember my basic geography here. Well, we had a case over here in Gloucester where the people were literally almost surrounded by the lake on three sides. There were houses on a little peninsula, and there were all kinds of things going on. Oh yeah, not quite Skinwalker Ranch quality, but a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah, then I'm I'm assuming that if She's ha- having a uh, phenomenon like this going on that her neighbors probably would as as well. Mm. That, that's what I would assume, at least. Okay. Well, I think we have room for one more question. Eh? Oh, we yeah, we definitely do. Okay. All right. This is from, uh, here, well, here you go. The eternity and death. A question from Dolores M. in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Alrighty. So Dolores writes to us. the map tonight. Hi, Paul and Ben. As a, as a uh, hospice nurse... I find your ideas of on uh, death really interesting. So in the mul- multiverse theories, we are uh, really eternal beings. What does this do to our sense of self? I can see uh, where some of the ancient cultures reflect these ideas. Wow, I love our listeners. They're so intelligent. That's what we're after. Yeah, I know. All right, well, very good question, of course. 
Uh, for those that don't know, a hospice nurse is, is generally uh, someone who helps care for someone who is terminally ill or is not expected to live. So uh, they would see uh, the, the translation experience a lot more than I might have done so many years ago. Um, the, uh, the idea here is that, um, and we're all talking about the multiverse. Can I see that letter, please? We're all talking about the multiverse here tonight. The idea here is that um, the self is really a non-entity. And I'm thinking in terms of some of the physicists, such as Amit Goswami, Dr. Dr. Goswami, who was a mystic as well as a, as a great physicist, has said that, as we say, that the sense of self is what you're feeling when you talk about yourself. The self itself, the, the self itself does not really exist. It is a sense of self-reference. So what does that do? Uh, the multiverse is full of paradoxes, and that does interesting things to our spirituality, uh, to our relationships with ourselves, with God, with, with each other. And what it does is to bring us together, I think. And um, so the self is achieved in the other. In order to find yourself, you forget yourself. These are the paradoxes, things that uh, don't appear to be true but really are. You forget yourself... I'll say it again, and then you can begin to find yourself. One of the problems I have with many psychics and mediums and people who set themselves up as spiritual teachers today is that, the, and even sometimes with Western spirituality itself, is that people look inward. It directs your attention inward rather than outward. You cannot find yourself within. People say, you know, the truth is within, everything's within. Well, yeah, but within is outside you. Within involves the entire nature of consciousness, all of us. And that's something that needs a lot of thought and meditation. So that's what uh, the multiverse idea does to the, the self. And are we um, eternal beings in this? Well, that's what most religions teach. Certainly Christianity teaches that uh, the immortality of the soul, although historically that is not a Christian doctrine, it's a Zoroastrian <laughs> doctrine that was sort of adopted by the West or, or, or assimilated by it. What, what the Christian uh, doctrine says is the immortality of the whole person, body included. That's why they teach about the resurrection, the general resurrection, the resurrection of the body of whom the first was Jesus in, in Christian doctrine. So that's what that is, is supposed to be about, and then that's fodder for more discussion. Right. But we really are eternal beings. Why? Because in the multiverse, you're always alive somewhere or somewhen. You can't die. But not eternal in the sense that it's like, I want to be me forever. Well, that's the problem. The, you know, And that's another paradox. We're talking about eternal beings here, but the issue, and, and, and as I've said many times, uh, the idea that you... Our whole spirituality in the West seems to be aimed at, okay, I'm uh, Megan Smith, but I and I want to remain Megan Smith after I die. And not only that, I want to be Megan Smith forever. That's really eccentric in the history of human spirituality. There was a sense uh, throughout most of human history that we are part of the whole. Uh, there, there were even religions who believed that we are absorbed back into the whole, when we die, well, the fact is we're already part of the whole. We don't have to be absorbed into anything. We're already in it. And our, and our, and our lack of happiness and lack of fulfillment comes from not realizing that, not, not accepting it, wanting to be an island. So I think that the multiverse ideas, uh, Dolores, that's what uh, this will do to some of that thinking. 
And that's what it does to our sense of self. And uh, as you say, many ancient cultures reflect those ideas. Um, so uh, we are already in eternity. And remember, remember that question that, that, that got, had an interesting discussion going between uh, us, Ben, on uh, someone writing up uh, the idea that, that in the multiverse, uh, at least from the physics point of view, new worlds are constantly being created. Yeah. By such as us who observe and bring about actions. You know, in other words, you drop the coffee cup on the floor, it breaks, uh, that world breaks off from the one where the, where the coffee cup did not break. And you can, it's, it's difficult to grasp the numbers of worlds constantly being created. Yeah. Uh, and he said at the same time, he was uh, saying, asking us about our contention that all possibilities exist already in concrete form in the multiverse. And uh, we asked a question in return, can infinity be filled up? Just because all possibilities exist does not mean that more possibilities cannot be created. Right. I mean, that, that also brings up the idea that is there any truly original thought? Well, probably not. <laughs> but I suppose that... Well, this this goes back to another question too. You really got us thinking here, Dolores. Thank you. Uh, another question that goes back to uh, was did did this multiverse have a beginning? Did eternity have a beginning? And I'm thinking, of course, of the uh, the Big Bang idea, uh, the creation of the universe, and, and even that's now being questioned. There are, there are still people who go or are going back now to the steady state theory that the universe has always existed and always will exist, right? Uh, as opposed to the Big Bang theory, which says it was created by one Big Bang, literally, uh, what, 17, 18 billion years ago or so. Some say 19. And everything, all space, time, the whole multiverse, all the different worlds started, started then. Yeah. Or was that the creation just of this universe? Or, did, or does that question even have any meaning? So these are all things that, that run into the idea of infinity and what it means to be eternal and things of this kind. So uh, I think we're expanding on, on the, the popular idea of the, the eternity of the soul yeah. into the eternity of um, everything, the biosphere, us, and being in uh, many, many worlds at the same time and not being able to die even if you wanted to. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, and de- death is what? Death is the absence of life. Yeah. And that's, that's what got me going in the 70s when I started investigating the, the ghost thing from the seminary point of view. You know, uh, there was no evidence whatsoever of people being dead. They were active. They were involved in their daily lives. Yeah, I mean, you think they were dead, they'd be very tired. If they were dead, they'd be dead. Yeah, they, they wouldn't. wouldn't be doing anything, right? Yeah. So, I mean, strictly interpreting the word as, as it should be. So anyway, that's uh, all the questions. Uh, we have time for any more? Uh, yeah, we have, we have right, time for a small one. Okay. Well, here's a small one. This is from Chandra Reese in Arlington, Massachusetts. Alrighty. Back to a question we dealt with earlier. Alrighty. So, Chandra writes to us. Uh, like you say, Paul and Ben, things in the world are getting weirder. I'm hearing more and more about possible aliens among us. Alien human babies and hybrids. Here we go again. Uh, and, uh, and an alien plan for humans. What is uh, going on with this? Well, that's one thing we didn't get into. And we answered a lot of that, Chandra, before. Is uh, an alien plan for humans? That was it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's. Well, that gets like, into like a, what we how like we a ended our community. Like what? Yes, uh, zoning and uh, <laughs> you know subdivisions. But no, we, this gets into where we ended. Really, the last discussion on on this question uh, a few minutes ago, and that is, uh, well, what is the agenda? 
maybe it's beyond anything we can really understand. Yeah. The, and, you know, the really depressing possibility here, and I have considered it very seriously, is that we are, we're genetically manipulated or we're put here or whatever in order to be food for these Whatever this is. Whatever they are. <clears throat> there are a number of different, and I'm talking maybe, I'm not talking about literally being cooked over the campfire, but. No, no, I know. Um, the, the parasite thing, they do feed upon us, and are these the so-called aliens that we're always talking about? They're certainly non-human life forms. That's true. But there are many, many different species, apparently, and I began to get curious about that when there were so many different craft reported back in the 60s and 70s. So we, we really just don't know. The whole hybrid thing we've discussed, uh, the plan for humans, we like to think that they're nice guys and that everything will be great, that they're going to save us from ourselves, and maybe they will. I don't know, but I would rather rely on God to do that, frankly. I mean, um, if it's an entirely different entity that we know nothing about, then why would we trust that? It's like giving a stranger your car. Yeah, that's the thing. And you know, I talked to the folks, well, we're out of time here, but we'll continue. I'm sure there'll be many more questions like this in the future. And thank you for we everyone who's will. written in. Uh, again, the form on our, our site is not working, but by all means, use the Facebook page or just drop us an email. Uh, the links are on our site. Or, or write uh, you know, to the station here. Right. We'll give you details on that in just a second. But don't forget to visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 500 free podcasts of all our past shows. Also, check out our site at www.NewEnglandGhosts.com, where there are case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad. And find my books on Barnes & Noble Nook e-reader and Amazon Kindle, Amazon.com, and the usual places. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will be happy to autograph them for you, and you will be able to keep help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to several charities that Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares and Canadian Veterans Advocacy. On our CBS radio edition of the show on Sunday, December 8th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Windsor, and Seattle, Vancouver, we will welcome back Gary Hesseltine, publisher of UFO Truth Magazine, to weigh the question, disclosure or disaster, which is worse? Hey there, and welcome, not welcome, sorry, and uh, next Monday here on uh, WON 1240, December 9th, and ONWorldwide.com, don't forget about that, we will welcome back Bill Hall, author of an upcoming book on the Bridgeport, Connecticut poltergeist outbreak of 1974, to which my dad is one of the few surviving eyewitnesses, and we leave you this evening with a thought from cultural anthropologist Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and have a wonderful holiday season, Christmas, Hanukkah, etc. See you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.